Well, good morning. It is uh, a pleasure and a privilege to be here with you all. Uh, my wife and family have joined me along with members of our core group of Christ United Fellowship. And uh, we are excited and privileged to worship the Lord with you this morning. Uh, I'm going to read in just a moment from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 8. But I want to invite you to ask the Lord's blessing over our time first. Our great God and King, we thank you. Uh, that you have given us this privilege to assemble as your people and to hear your word, uh, to encounter your presence. Lord, we ask you now that you would help us, that you would remove the veil off of eyes, remove the block out of our ears, tenderize our hearts to receive your word, and help me, Lord, as your servant. Uh, Father, empower me by your spirit. And Lord, we pray that our time together would go to uh, the building up of the saints, the calling of the lost, and most of all, the glorification of your great name. For if that's not our strive, then our efforts are in vain. Help us, O oh Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned before, our text will come from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And these words are recorded. Since therefore... The children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. I have to confess to you all this morning that uh, Lucy and I enjoy watching certain reality TV shows. And I know when you confess that kind of thing, it, it causes you to become ridiculed. But I, I think that there are some shows, some reality TV shows that are of good substance. And one of the shows that we like to watch is The Undercover Boss. And The Undercover Boss is a, a pretty straightforward and simple show. If you, the, the premise is an executive sometimes from a major company, sometimes from a not-so-major company, leaves his corner office and comes down onto the level of his co-workers or the, his employees, if you will, and immerses himself in their experience, identifies with their struggles, and comes to see how his company is actually being run. And the show has no great surprise twist to it, in fact, just about every episode has the same plot. Uh, but somehow it always causes us to tear up at the end. And so you'll see a boss come and disguise himself. And then he'll walk around with his people. Sometimes you can tell that he didn't understand. He doesn't understand how to perform the same labors as his employees. Sometimes it's the case that he forgot how to do it. Other times he's talking to them, becomes friends with them, and he comes to understand that they have struggles that go on in their lives outside of 
uh, his place of employment. And then others, he learns that there are some struggles within his place of employment. And then at the end of the show, uh, the boss calls these individuals into his office. And some people walk in and they instantly know that it was their boss that was doing an internship. All right. And some of them have that oh moment. I yelled at him or something like that. Others look and they say, ah, you look familiar. And then others come in and are completely shocked that it was their boss working with them the whole time. Well, we see the boss's humanity uh, towards the end of the show. And he, he recounts all the struggles that the individual shared with them. And he promises to implement changes to the company. But in addition to that, he says to them, he ends up blessing them with something uh, that may be external to their job. They may need some money. He tells them, I heard of your troubles. I want to do this for you and all that. And at the end of the show, uh, Lucy, Lucy will look at me and says, are you crying? And I'll, and I'll say, no, <laughs> with tears coming out of my ducts and water running down my nose. And I'll say, are you crying? And she, no. <laughs> and you got to ask yourself the question, why is it that a show that is as rote and routine as that continues to incite that kind of emotion? And the answer is, I believe that we desire to know that our bosses are the ones for whom we work, understand our daily routine, understand that we have daily struggles and we want to, we want to know that they understand our daily, you know, sufferings that we undergo while working for them and, you know, extracurricular, you know, external to working for them, if you will. And I believe the same is true for believers. We struggle. We need to be assured that the God we serve understands our daily struggles. Let me say it again. I believe that we need to be assured that we serve a God who understands our daily struggles, that understands our routine sufferings. And today, I think this text offers us encouragement because uh, we see that we can trust Jesus. We can trust that Jesus understands our struggles because he became human to secure our salvation. Let me say that again. We can trust that Jesus understands our struggles because he became human to secure our salvation. And I want to offer up three points from our text this morning. By becoming human, Jesus secured victory over our enemies. Jesus satisfied God's wrath and Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. Now, look with me at the first thing here. Jesus secured victory over our enemies. Verse 14, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. This sense right here links the preceding uh, section and what follows. In verses 1 through uh, 14, we see the Hebrew writer telling the Hebrews that they ought to pay attention to Jesus because he is superior to the angels in our salvation. Uh, we see that it hit the recipients of his redemption are flesh and blood humans. And then the third thing we see is that he became 
that he accomplishes salvation by becoming a human. So that's what he tells us in the first portion of this section. That Jesus became a human. He is the servant about whom Isaiah said was acquainted with grief and sorrow. He is the servant about whom Isaiah prophesied. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He ate, he slept, he drank, he wept. He actually entered the human experience. He left his place in eternity and came down into time and space. And Paul says in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself by becoming a man. And the Hebrew writer wants us to understand that categorically, unequivocally, that yes, he is far above us. He sits at the right hand of God, but he came down and entered into reality, time and space. And why did he do it? What's the purpose? We see that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So Jesus left his place in eternity, entered into time for a reason, and that is so that he would defeat our enemies. And this was a long time coming. You turn your Bible open to the first book, Genesis 3.15. We see after the fall that God comes down raining curses and he tells Satan who comes in the form of a serpent that the seed of this woman will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. So God gave Satan a heads up that you are going down. He warned him thousands of years ago that your doom is sure. And this was not an abstract fight. I want you to understand that. This was a fight that took place in time and space all throughout Jesus's earthly ministry. From his temptation in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry to his fight with the Pharisees who were children of the devil to his very friend Peter who said, Lord, you're not going, paraphrasing, to the cross. No king of ours is going to be hung high, stretched wide in shame. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So this was a real fight that Je in which Jesus engaged throughout his earthly ministry. This was not a fight in the abstract. And we see that Jesus defeats. He renders Satan powerless uh, over, uh, through his death, he renders Satan powerless. And we ask the question, how can this be that in dying, in dying, that he defeats the one who has power over death? I tell you, the answer is simply this. It's because he rose. And we can take up the offering and go home after that. But I still have two more points. <laughs> Jesus rose from the grave to demonstrate his power over the one who has power over death as well as the grave. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Verse 23. This Jesus delivered up 
according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But what? God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was a fixed fight. It was a divine conspiracy. And now, as my good friend Mike Gloder would say, the grave has two open doors. And for the believer, death is not the ending place. It's just a passage. The one who holds the power over death has been rendered powerless. What else? We no longer are held captive to the fear of death. And the enemy uses the fear of death to keep people captive. He uses it to intimidate people. That's why I believe you see people donate their bodies to cryogenics. Because they don't want to die. They want to keep living here. They don't want to know what's beyond that, what's beyond the grave, what's beyond this reality because they are scared. I also believe that's why you have people who try to make this earthly home their eternal home. Now, what I don't want you to hear me saying is that we're not responsible for making the invisible kingdom visible. Yes, we're to preach the gospel. We are to live as redeemed people. We are to affect change uh, to the best of our ability in society, all that we can. Okay, but understand that something will be better than here. But there are some people who don't believe that there's anything beyond earth, so they accumulate all they can here and make this their final resting place because they are afraid of what's beyond this reality. But the Hebrew writer says that Jesus has liberated us from the fear of death, so now we can run freely. We can serve Jesus all the days of our lives until our dying day and have confidence that we'll be passing through to be with him on our deathbed. When I was, uh, I was eating dinner with my parents last night, and my dad started joking, saying, this is what he wants at his grave. When I die, bury me with this, do that, that, etc." We had a good joke about it. Then he started talking about how my grandfather, who will be 91 this year, Jokes like that, too. And he said, I don't know why he jokes like that, because he's probably going to live till past 100. And so my dad said to me right after that, he said, you know, but people look at us crazy when we talk like that. Do you know why? And I replied, because they fear death. He said, absolutely. I want to say to you this morning, beloved, we have no reason to fear death. Now, I want to ask you, are you in fear today? If you're in fear, it could be that uh, you need to be reminded that Jesus has rendered the one who has power over, the death, over death powerless. We still die, yes. He's been delegated some kind of power, but we just pass by. If you're in fear of death today, it could be that you are on the losing side, in which case you would need to place your trust in the one who has defeated the one who has power over death. Jesus... Jesus secured victory over our enemies. Jesus satisfied God's wrath. Verse 16, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Who are the beneficiaries of Jesus's redemptive work? According to verse 16, it is not the angels. 
It is Jesus' brothers and sisters, flesh and blood, like you and me, who are the beneficiaries of his work of redemption. Paul says in Romans 4 and in Galatians 3, they are those people, they are the people who have placed their faith in Jesus for salvation, which includes not simply those of Jewish descent, but people of all kinds. So Christ's brothers and sisters are a full range of people. People from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Those are the beneficiaries of Christ's redemptive work. Furthermore, Peter says that the angels long to look into salvation. Okay. So how has Jesus helped his brothers? What does the text say? In verse 17, we see another result of Christ's humanity. He satisfied God's wrath. Look at there. Verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus became just like his brothers and sisters in every respect. He became completely like us, except without sin. All right? The Hebrew writer wants to establish that. If you haven't figured that out by now, he wants to make that clear. And in being a merciful high priest, he offers compassion and pity to the helpless, to you and me in our time of need. And in being a faithful high priest, Jesus faithfully, that is, he carried out all his duties that were required of him by God. He carried every single duty out that was required of him. That's one side of being faithful. The other side of being faithful is that you and I can fully trust Jesus. He is fully trustworthy. He has done all that he was supposed to do, and he stands on our behalf. He's completely obeyed God on our behalf in every single way that he was supposed to. And that's why he's able to offer us mercy, and that's why we're able to say that he's faithful, because he did this fully. And then it says something else. It says he did this to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, if you say propitiation for the sins of the people ten times, I wonder how hard that would be. I wonder what come out by the fifth time. That word propitiation is a loaded word and a very significant word in, in, our, in, our, in our faith. Jesus simply is what it means. Simply but profound, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. That's the most succinct statement that I can give you in terms of propitiation. Jesus atoned for our sin. Jesus paid the price for our sins. Okay? Now, this here is a demonstration that Jesus fulfilled the old, old covenant institution of, 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 of sacrifices. Right here in the old covenant, every day, annually, I'm not, excuse me, every year, there, a high priest went up to offer a sacrifice on behalf of God's people to cover their sin. But he himself had to make a sacrifice uh, for, his, for his sin and his family. So he had to be in good standing with the Lord before he offered a sacrifice on behalf of his brothers with whom he identified. And what the text says 
is that Jesus now fulfills the role of that great high priest because only God himself can fulfill God's righteous requirements. So what we have is this great mystery, this great event where God comes down to you, down to earth, time and space and becomes the God man. He identifies with you and me fully, completely. Okay, that's what Jesus does. And then he goes into the Holy of Holies and offers himself as the payment for our sin. Now, if you can't say amen to that, I don't know what you should say amen to. Say amen. Amen. Thank you. He stood on our behalf. He stood on our behalf, fully obeyed, and then offered himself so that you and I and anyone else who will believe might be saved. Uh, One of my favorite movies to watch is Man on Fire. And I would urge you to watch that with caution if you did watch it. Uh, It's about this CIA agent, ex-CIA agent uh, who is hired to protect this girl, be a bodyguard. And throughout the course of the movie, there's a conspiracy and the girl gets kidnapped and he promises, uh, Creasy is his name, he promises the mother that he will get her daughter back. That he will bring her back home safely. And after an exchange, a violent exchange, he gets wounded. And all throughout the movie, he's walking around spilling blood in pursuit of this little girl. You see. And this great moment happens in the movie where they discover that the girl is alive. And the kidnappers say, I will give you her in exchange for your life. And he agrees. And there's a scene in the movie where he's walking, dripping blood, wounded. And this great moment happens and he hands over his life for this girl. And the girl takes off running to her mother. And beloved, Jesus has done the same thing for us. He shed his blood. He's poured out his life for us. And a great exchange happened at the cross where Jesus offered his life for my life and yours. And that's what makes him such a beautiful high priest. He demonstrated mercy to us and continues to do so. I have a friend, an older woman, who said to me one day, she saw some kids uh, gallivanting around and they were cutting a rug. And she said uh, what they were doing was dangerous, et cetera, or it could put themselves in danger. And then she said she went and laid down in her bed. And she said, Mike, if I didn't, I felt like if I didn't say something that I was going to hell. She felt condemned. And I want to ask you this morning, do you feel that way? Are there times where you feel over every minute detail that you're going to be condemned to hell for something? I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus already experienced that condemnation that the enemy is trying to project on you. And in Romans 8, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Understand that Jesus was condemned on our behalf. So we are no longer condemned. Understand that. Are you the type of person who's still trying to work? 
to satisfy God's wrath? Are you hounded by guilt? And you're trying to do everything you can, work as hard as you can to satiate the wrath of God. Let me tell you, you can rest from your labors today because Jesus has already satisfied the wrath of God on your behalf. So you can, you can have peace today. Do you struggle to show other people mercy? If so, it may be that you need to be reminded of the mercy that's been shown you in Christ Jesus. Or it could be that you haven't experienced the mercy of God at all. In which case, I would encourage you to trust in the one who extends mercy in our time of need. Even myself, I need to be reminded of the mercy that's been shown me. Uh, you know, as Joe mentioned earlier, I've lost 50 to 60 pounds since playing football. And here recently, I've been on another weight loss campaign, and I've had some victory in the past few months. And so I, I got a little beside myself one day, and my wife uh, buys these uh, cinnamon and sugar pita chips. And let me tell you, I was, I was fighting the good fight. I'd walk past the kitchen every day, and I'd see those chips, and i just wonder, how does that how do they taste? <laughs> and one day, one evening, it was on one of my off days. I had, like I said, achieved to hit my targets. I decided I was going to eat some of these chips. And I started eating. I started eating. I said, girl, these things are good. <laughs> and we're watching the movie, and she, she leans over, and she, she reaches into the bag. And I pulled it. I said, you don't deserve these. To which she responded, you don't deserve them either. You were saved by grace too. <laughs> I say, you go, girl. Uh, better be careful what you teach your wives. You might use it against you. Christ secured victory over our enemies. Christ satisfied God's wrath and Christ sympathizes with our weaknesses. Brothers and sisters, Christ's work is not just something that stopped in the distant past. Neither is Christ's work of redemption something that we will only realize in the distant future. It has implications for the present right here, right now. Look at verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you understand what the Hebrew writer is saying? It's because Jesus suffered and was tested and completed the test. He's able to help those who are in need of help. That's what he's saying. Now, what I want you to understand, it's not just a past help. Jesus sympathizes right now in the present with his people. Yes, right now. In the here and now, Jesus sympathizes with us. Because he underwent testing uh, through his suffering, just like us but never failed, he is fully able to help us in our struggles. Jesus experienced every single temptation that we face. From pride to envy to lust to self-promotion, and on and on and on. He experienced the agony of all those temptations, but he did not acquiesce. 
That's what makes him such a great high priest. That's what qualifies Jesus to be our high priest. My mom was sharing a story with me about these two women who were singing at this uh, prayer meeting. And one was a younger woman. She got up to give people some encouragement and she sang a beautiful song and, you know, the place, and they clapped, they praised God and, you know, people were rejoicing. And then the second woman was an older woman. She was upwards of 80 to 90 years old. And she was frail and feeble. And she walked up to the front and she took the mic and she started to sing. And the place got quiet. And as she sang, people started to weep. As she sang, people started to rejoice. And by the time she got to the end of the song, the place had erupted in praise and rejoicing for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, what's the difference? It's when they saw the old leather hands. It's when they saw the beautifully wrinkled face get up there to sing a song that encouraged them. It demonstrated to them that she fully understood all that they were going through. And then likewise, Jesus says, I fully understand all that you are undergoing. I have walked where you walked. I have been where you are now. And I have not forgotten your agony. And I want to say this morning as I close, we don't serve a God who remained in the abstract. We don't serve a God who plays philosophical parlance with our pain. We serve a God who came down into our human experience and walked these mundane shores and experienced every form of suffering and temptation that you and I face. He sits high, but yes, he came down into our experience. He's the exalted Christ, but he came and walked and tabernacled among his people. So we must understand and hold fast to the truth that we don't serve a God who's just sitting up there in this nebulous reality. We serve a God who came down into our human experience. What troubles you this morning? Is it grief? Listen, Jesus doesn't just know about your grief. Jesus actually himself experienced grief. He wept over Lazarus's grave. Are you worried this morning about your kids, your family? Jesus doesn't just know about your worry. Jesus himself experienced worry. He worried and wept over the people of Israel. Understand. His betrayal hounding you this morning. Has a friend betrayed you? Has a family member betrayed you? Has your spouse betrayed you? Jesus says, I don't just know about your betrayal. My friends in my darkest hour denied me. One of my disciples handed me over for a bag of coins, for a little pocket change, handed over the king of glory. So I want to say to you this morning, Jesus does not just know about your betrayal. He himself experienced betrayal. His physical pain ripping your body apart. 
Are you hounded by sickness today? Jesus knows all about your pain. Look at his pierced hands. Look at his lashed back. The crown of thorns in his head. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this morning, he understands about your physical infirmities. In the quiet stillness of the night, you may weep and say, nobody knows how much pain I'm in. But the Lord says, I've been there. Are you lonely? Is loneliness troubling you this morning? Did not the king of glory cry out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced divine abandonment on the cross. And he did it for you and he did it for me. Yes, the king of glory was forsaken that we might be embraced. So he understands what it feels like to be lonely. He understands the lonely cry. He understands the lonely hour. He knows what it feels like. And that's what he says to us today. The Lord says this, if you are weak, then let me strengthen you. I'm qualified. I've been there. Listen, beloved, Jesus is a brother that sits far above us. But let me remind you that he stepped down and became just like us. Would you pray with me this morning? Merciful Father, all we can say is thank you. Thank you that you are a God who acquainted yourself with our realities. And you know our sufferings through and through. And our Father, we pray that you would encourage us by sealing this truth to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.